Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Josh Thomas is an Australian comedian, actor, and writer who broke out on the scene as a teenager, winning Best Newcomer at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival in 2007 for his first solo show, Please Like Me. Thomas went on to stage his stand-up at the Edinburgh Fringe in Montreal's Just for Laughs before developing his first TV series, also called Please Like Me. This one documented his coming-out process and aired originally on Australian television before getting picked up for multiple seasons in America via the cable channel Pivot. His follow-up to that, Everything's Gonna Be Okay, premiered in January 2020 on Freeform. The first season in full is available for streaming on Hulu. Thomas sat down with me via Zoom to talk about all of that, why working with bugs and teenage girls makes perfect sense, and more. So let's get to it! So, uh, Josh, Thomas, uh, last things first. Everything's gonna be okay. Yes. <laughs> right. Right? Right. Do you think it's tacky that I'm drinking a beer during this? Oh, no, it's fine. I mean, it's I'm fine. only using the audio, so. It doesn't matter. It's 1 p.m., and it's the end of the world. I can have a beer, can't I? Time is irrelevant now. Time doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> so, in the, in the show, everything's going to be okay. You're stuck in America. In real life. <laughs> in real life. Would you rather be quarantined in Agoura Hills or in Australia? Uh, I mean, it doesn't really matter, right? At the end of the day, you're just in the house. I mean, that house in Agoura Hills in the show is much nicer than my house in Australia. Uh, but, I mean, you can't see anyone anyway. It doesn't really matter what country you're in. I mean, definitely there's, like, a real anxiety not being in your, like, home country. Because I can't go home... You know, if someone dies or whatever, like, I can't go home. So that's, like, kind of weird. Um, but, I mean, it doesn't, I don't both countries, fine. I mean, in Australia, you don't have, like, Donald Trump playing on TV 24 hours a day. We have him, like, maybe four minutes a day, and that's better. Um, but otherwise, I mean, it's just me and my dog, and I got a new puppy. Uh, and... I don't think it matters where we are in the world at the moment, right? That's the point. Well, I guess it's in terms of a sense of security or serenity. Yeah, I mean, when that Mercy ship floated into L.A. Harbor, you know, that hospital ship floated in, I did sort of think, oh, fuck. (laughs) I mean, they're not doing that in Australia. We don't have uh, naval hospital ships in our ports. And that was like, um, that was probably the day where I thought, yeah, maybe, maybe moving to, to America a year after Trump got elected was, like, a pretty weird choice. <laughs> that was a pretty weird choice, actually. But usually I'm, like, just excited and happy to be here. Yeah. yeah, you know, for me, this was, uh, this was finally going to be the year that I went to the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Oh, yeah, no. I've never been... As as recently as March 12th, I was still looking at flights and lodging for it. And the festival people were still telling me, yeah, we're going to do it. And then the next day, it's it's done. 
Yeah, I was going to go home to Australia and I, I, I was waiting. I was like, I think because of this pandemic, the flights are going to get like pretty cheap. <laughs> I was waiting for them to get cheap That's- and then they got canceled. <laughs> I feel rather naive now because I was still thinking, oh, well, it's going to be cheaper. This will be the year I can finally afford to go to Australia <laughs> for the festival. And now, no. And looking back on it a month later, I realized how naive and foolish I yeah. was. Especially that. when it was like um, all these other countries had it. I don't know why... I don't know what we thought we were doing differently to them, you know? Well, it's an island, so... Yeah, and Australia is doing, like, they're they're okay. They don't don't have it that bad. I feel like a few, like, health professionals there, and they're all, like, friends of my mom. Sorry, burping because of my pee. (laughs) And they... uh, (laughs) And they... They were, like, expecting the worst, and they all got, like, super prepared. And because of that, they, like, stopped any surgeries or anything. And now they all have... Uh, nothing to do mm-hmm. yeah in, ter- in terms of comedy though obviously you know i know that the melbourne festival is one of the top three annual comedy celebrations in the world for you obviously it's even been more important and vital what can you tell me in in my listeners about the importance of melbourne's festival yeah, I mean, the Melbourne Comedy Festival is, like, it's, like, the linchpin of the comedy industry in Australia. It's, like, uh, it's definitely where I grew up. I, I did, like, five solo shows there. And it's, like, I mean, it's devastating to cancel that festival because you've got, it's like, I don't know, like a, couple, like, a couple hundred shows. And all these comedians, like, write their shows. They spend, like, probably the second half of the year, six months, like, working up their one-hour show every year in Australia. And they go and do their one-hour show. And now they just, I don't know, put it in a folder. And there's no, like, um, no one's ever giving arts funding in these kind of situations, you know? They're never bailing out the arts. That's just never going to happen in Australia. Um, So it was, like, it's pretty sad. But it's also, like, sad for everybody. Like, no one doesn't have it sad. So you kind of, I don't know, you just, like, yeah. In terms of in terms in terms of pre-pandemic though, what set or what sets Melbourne apart from Edinburgh or Montreal? Well, Montreal is like I mean Montreal's great, but it's 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 like it's it's roots are like it's a conference, right? Like it's for like industry to go and watch, and people generally do like seven to ten minute spots. It's like traditionally now they're getting more into like one hour shows and stuff, but traditionally it was like you go there. And you take your wares the same way like a carpet seller would when they went to like a carpet selling event or whatever, you know, those kind of things. Um, it's like a very different vibe. And also like, cause it's connected to the American industry. It's very like, um, it's very serious, you know, it's for people are really trying to do well. There's like this real sense of ambition there. Um, which I think that like, they've done a nice job of changing that since I first went there like 12 years ago. Um, and then Edinburgh is, is a comedy and a fringe festival. And I think they're pretty like similar to, it's pretty similar to Melbourne. Um, so, you know, any Australian can do a show at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, the same as Edinburgh. Um, it's just that the Melbourne Comedy Festival is just comedy. There's no other, there's no physical theater. There's no bagpipes. There's no, um, whatever. It's like all funny. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's like a whole, our whole industry is, is built around it. But any kind of live performance industry is having a really, having a really bad year. True. 2020 
is not the best year for anyone. Um, one yeah. of the things that people have been doing online this spring has been trending pictures of hashtag me at 20. And, mm-hmm. it's, and it strikes me that for you, it's rather significant because that was, you were 19 going on 20 when you first took your first show, Please Like Me, to the Melbourne Fest. Yeah. Was I? Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah, I was 19. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You looked it up? Yeah. 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 Anyway, first show, I was straight in it. I was an owl and I hadn't had sex with a boy yet actually that first stand up show okay um, and I mean the show my TV show like I use the title but the shows have nothing in common that show was about high school and it was very much like about finishing high school so it was like I don't know if this is the kind of thing I'd want to watch but it was like yeah a 19 year old talking about high school and they like left two years ago and what that was like which I guess you don't see very often how, how did you already have the gumption in 19 19- to do a, a, a full solo show at the biggest festival in your homeland. I don't think it's about, I think it's like the age thing when you say the gumption to me is like the opposite. There's no way I would do that now, right? At 32, I'd be like, I know that's a great idea. And like a lot more like risk it for us. Mm-hmm. And I'm like comfortable. But when I was 17, I signed a sign up when I was 17. I just didn't consider that it would go badly. Like, you know, like how some like, like straight teenage boys, they like speed really fast and they think they're not going to die. <laughs> or like people do like weird drugs or whatever. Right. Uh, I, uh, Invincibility. I just, yeah. I just didn't think it through. I'd only ever seen stand-up comedy at like um, theaters and they, those comedians did really well. It seems really easy when you watch it, you know, when they, when they walk out to see their audience and they're like professionals and they tell their jokes and obviously it goes well. And I just thought that's what it would be like. Uh, that's just like, that was just, I never really, I, w- I wasn't that scared of it. I didn't really think it through. Thank God. Cause it, it, I, I got a job. And then the first show I did was the, this like amateur comedy competition when I was 17. And I won that, which is like, it's not that impressive, right? Cause it's, it's the best worst comedian. Mm-hmm. Um, but I won it and that like, I, I have like some like, I got like some confidence from that. I don't mm-hmm. like, it, it like made me think like, oh yeah, maybe I can do this. And then you do like, there's like a ladder that you go on in the Melbourne comedy scene. If you, there's like the raw comedy is like the amateur comedy competition. The next year is um, this thing called Comedy Zone where the Melbourne Comedy Festival picks like five up and coming acts and you do like 15 minutes at that. And then you, you follow that up with an hour show. That's like the tradition. That's just like what you get told to do. Um, so that's what I did. I got like, yeah. And it was good. Well, you won Best Newcomer. Yeah. Yeah, but again, that's the best, like, not very good comedian. I've never won the best comedian. <laughs> I've never won that. I got nominated for it once. I never, never won that. Uh, yeah. Right. And you can only win Best Newcomer once, so. You only get one shot at it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was, like, actually lucky in a way, because, like, being 19, that was, like, very different, and everyone wants to see something they haven't seen before. It's not that often you get to see someone straight out of high school talking about high school. Usually they're like 25 or they're 30. They're looking back on it. I was really in it. You know what I mean? I was still really mad about that. That girl that broke up with me. So that I think was like sort of interesting. And it's not, it's just not something I ever really, I just never really thought it through. (laughs) How much, how much of an impact did having someone like Chris Lilly have on the scene for for you 
I mean, he doesn't really do his live stuff. And I was, like, very live-focused. Mm-hmm. I was never, like... My dream was never to make a TV show. Um, uh, I mean, I really like... I really like... And he's, like, very different to me. He does, like, characters and stuff. He's not, like... Mm-hmm. I, like, enjoy his show, but I don't see him as, like... Well, one of my friends, when I said I was interviewing you, said that you seem like you could be... At least the TV version of you could, could seem like a Chris Lilly character. And I thought, oh, that's weird. And then I wondered, yeah. would, would Josh and Chris even get along? Because they seem like different, different people, different points of view. Yeah, I don't know. I, I never, so if, like, you're, if you're 19 and you're not out yet, is it, is it weird when, when like a face of Australian, young Australian TV comedy is someone doing like broad, stereotypical caricatures? Well, his like Summer Heights Hide, they were, like kind of interesting those characters right they have like that nice turn at the end where like you like go on their side and the one before like, we can be heroes that had that as well like he had a, he had a really nice um way of like luring you in and you would laugh at the people and then at the end of the series you would laugh with the people and that was mm-hmm. his really nice kind of um trick that he did right that was it was great i don't think he does that that successfully anymore um but, and I, so, I, so I think, I don't know, I don't, I don't really, I've never really met him and I, I like his show enough. I don't really like, I don't see him like, Americans always bring him up to me, <laughs> but I don't, I don't well, see him as something. Well, for us, we don't have that many reference points for Australians mm-hmm. who are comedians and then also on, like starring in their own TV shows, so. Chris Lilly and Rebel Wilson, I guess, are like the two. I mean, my references for Australians doing comedy in the States are like, Jim Jeffries or Jim mm-hmm. Minchin. And those are people who also like went from Australia to the UK and then to the US. Yeah, they both um they both got famous outside of Australia and then like went home famous. Right. Remember Wilson a bit as well. Like she had shows in Australia, but she came here and got huge and then now she goes back there famous. And um my career a bit as well. Like I had a show there that like please like me did okay, but they weren't gonna make a season two. And then Americans came in and, and funded it for the next mm-hmm. three seasons and then um you know, if you can't, if you get complimented in the New York Times to Australians, that's like really like exotic and exciting. So it's kind of the same thing. Because um, I guess the people that that get really popular in Australia don't don't leave. Our comedians that are like big there, they don't like uh, they don't need to go overseas. <laughs> they don't worry about making it big in America. I think they get like they just get paid all this money to be there, so. It's hard to like let go of that. Some someone have tried it. Had you had you been to America before you'd been on TV? I mean, I visited. I I wasn't like my my plan was never to like move to America and make it in show business. That's not. I, I don't think you guys would want me, right? Like I, I was I, I was very like um I always saw myself as being like small and in the corner, right? I was like a weird small guy in the corner. I was like literally a child. And I, I would, like, do these shows that I liked, and then they would always do kind of a bit better than I wanted them to. They would, mm-hmm. they would, they would, they would, they would, they would, they were always, like, um, I just was surprised that people wanted to come, and I was surprised people wanted to put me on their TV shows. And then it was the same with this show. I didn't, I didn't really, I don't know, I hadn't planned on, like, trying to get a house on the hills. That was never, like, in my five-year plan. So is. <laughs> Is this better or worse than your plan? <laughs> it's 
better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Someone gives you a real TV show. That's great. Once I got Please Like Me and Please Like Me did well, I was very like, I was like, okay, this is the thing I want to do. This is like the next step. I felt like ready to like make another show and move and try and like, and be like a little ambitious, which I'd never like considered as an option before. At what point in that, in that process did you decide it was time to come to America and like settle or, or put some roots down and, and make Please it like finished and, and I really wanted to like keep making TV shows. That's like what I love to do now. Um, and if you want to make a TV show, you gotta, if you want to be a showrunner, you gotta go to America, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I, I mean, I like America. It's really fun. Uh, but that was it. I was just like, that's, that's, I don't know. I don't know what I'd be doing in Australia. I don't know what my job would be there, to be honest. Has, has doing uh, everything's going to be okay. And even, even in the pilot of, of Please Like Me, there's, there's these ideas of comedy and tragedy clashing right at the outset and forcing you to confront some sort of parental responsibility. <laughs> is, have you talked this out with your therapist or are you using the screen to do that or I don't know. or are you just I getting rescue do dogs in quarantine what's happening I didn't mean to do that in both shows that was just like a mistake I don't, it wasn't like some big like creative plan mm-hmm. I just wanted um, and everything's gonna be okay I wanted those two characters I wanted Genevieve and Matilda and I had to like find a way to make that happen I, I think it's pretty obvious in that show that the premise isn't like really what I care about <laughs> <laughs> Which I probably shouldn't admit. Um, but <laughs> casting, the casting of those girls is is amazing, by the way. They're so good, and and they're like, um, that's everything I wanted. Like to me, that's what the show is. That's what like the pitch is. But it's you know you have to make a premise. <laughs> you have to make a premise, otherwise it's very hard to pitch a show without a premise. Um, right. So that's that's what that's about. I didn't know about me being in a caring role. I don't know why I did that. I don't know. You're not. You're not. You're not yearning to become a father. Or... Oh, I'd hate to. I just hate to. Maybe that's why. Because I think it's like so funny. Because it's so like counter to my instincts. You'd, to... you'd rather play a play a bad father on t- or bad guardian on TV than actually have to do it in real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just would be so bad at it. Like I, I, I would enjoy it, but I'd be. I wouldn't do it because I know I'd be bad at it. <laughs> uh. How is your mother, by the way? I know you posted on Instagram about her working as a nurse. Yeah, she's, like, good, actually. She's, like, in the hospital where they're sending non-COVID patients, and the town that she's in, like, doesn't really have any COVID patients. So she's great. She's, like, excited to be starting this new job. I was really worried for her when she went in, but it ended up being, like, so far, she's, like, really good. That's good. That's comforting to hear. That's good news, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, tell me about the bugs in Everything's Gonna Be Okay. That's not the uh, clinical term, bugs. I know that's not the scientific. Like, why do I have them? Or, uh, so, um, I have, I made, I needed a job for my character. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I, I was like hooking up with this boy and then he was leaving to go and live in the, um, to live in the woods to study grasshoppers for like a year he's like okay. oh no I'm going to see you for a year I'm going to look at grasshoppers and I thought that was really charming he was comparing the, the, the markings on the back of grasshoppers to the markings on the back of um, lizards 
because one of them is mimicking the other because one mm-hmm. of them's poisonous and they want the birds to think that they're poisonous. And that's what he was doing for a year. And I thought that was really charming. And so I took it for my own job in the TV show. Um, so I like, and also I really like bugs and I, I don't know, people really hate them. And that like makes me like them so much because they're so cool. Like bugs are like so busy. They're doing weird stuff. I mean, butterflies are, are, are crazy. <laughs> it's crazy that butterflies exist. And, um, and every bug has like some crazy thing going on that they do. And they're also really beautiful, I think. So I wanted them. I like them as like a, you know, like generally I like characters that are outsiders and I feel like bugs are like, they're that. Yeah. Um, it sounded like you were describing yourself when you were describing. Yeah. That's, I like it. Like, I like it. I like it. You know, this is a show about like queerness and neurodiversity. I, I think bugs are like a nice, they're like a nice symbol of that. Um, because they're so, like, people don't, like, um, most people, they're like, ugh, bugs, you know what I mean? They, they think they're gross. Mm-hmm. But whenever we have them on set, we lose, you know, half an hour of the day. Because all the crew is gathering around and wanting to, like, hold the praying mantis and, like, do the, the you know, sometimes they do, like, little cockroach races and stuff like that. Like, they're really fun and interesting. They just, so I just like them. That's the uh, long, that's the that's the short answer. I just like them, and it's my show. God damn the damn it! And if I want to put some praying mantises in the show, I get to. <laughs> uh, you you know you mentioned uh, you know queerness on on television. How describe to me the importance of getting so much like sex positivity broadcast on on basic cable uh, in America I mean, I like, in America. Yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know what it's like in Australia TV or British TV, but for American TV audiences, they're not accustomed to No. That. No, there's that old thing that everyone says about America, you know, like you could you I wanted to have someone walk in and shoot someone's head off. That would be like a lot easier than someone giving someone head, right? Like that which is crazy. Um and yeah, I mean I don't I just feel like it's like I mean, there's like a really big storyline in this show that is um, about Matilda, who's autistic, and her kind of like wanting to be sex positive and like going on that journey. And I wanted to then like show all the other characters kind of journey with that as much as we could and, and kind of show their attitudes um, because uh, it's kind of hard to talk about autistic people as a whole, but um, some autistic people really kind of look to the people around them. They look to the people that are closest to them to find out kind of what the rules are to mm-hmm. live by kind of more cognitively than most people would. They like look and they think like, what am I supposed to do? So the opinions of the people around them really can change what, how they, how they act in a, in a, in a, in a more firm way than maybe non-neurotypical people. In, sorry, more firm way than neurotypical people. So, kind of like I felt like showing that for everyone else was like the first step to then like going into that story with her, which is like a pretty big part of the season where she has sex and people aren't sure really if she can sense it or not. And I don't know. I just feel like, um, if you're going to make a show about, um, neurodiversity or like disabilities, the like most kind of subversive thing you can do is to make them sexy. Mm-hmm. You know, like everyone wants them to be inspiring and everyone wants them, you know, to like do well at college or whatever. No one really, you don't really often get to see them be sexy or horny. 
oh, horny. Yeah. yeah they, like, people with disabilities on TV get desexualized a lot. And, like, I don't really like that, you know. And also teenage girls as well. Like, I always get, um, my female characters always get noted more than the male characters when they say something crass. Um, and it really drives me nuts, right? And I'm, like, always, like, you know, so there's, like, a, there's like a three-page scene in the show where these three teenage girls talk just about buttholes. Um, and you know, there's a conversation that never because I'm like, do we really need to have a you know a three page scene where they talk about buttholes? And I'm like, but I don't think you would care about this if it was teenage boys. Goodbye. I actually don't think people would say anything. And so for that reason, I actually think this three page scene about buttholes is good feminism. <laughs> I think that's good feminism. So I don't know. I like. It. I think you know people are too squeamish generally in the world. Americans, of course, are like way too squeamish. Um, you know, and then, uh, I also didn't want it to seem like a show that was for teenagers. That's not what it is. It's a show for adults. It's about that involves teenagers. Right. Uh, <laughs> how would you compare, um, you know, you're just talking about autistic people and, you know, being on the spectrum, there's a, there's a variance in how they uh, react to social cues. How would you compare that to how you as a comedian uh, rely on social cues for observational humor? Um, I don't know, like, uh, you know, like a lot of comedians do comedy because they're bad socially, right? So they like... <laughs> they the comparison like, is made a lot that, that stand-up yeah. comedians might be autistic or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, ever since this show, I, I got a lot of autistic people watching this show, you know, and I'm getting a lot of messages asking me if I think I might be autistic and suggesting mm-hmm. that I go and get um, checked. Maybe it's cool, maybe. I don't know. I'm diagnosed with ADHD, which seems like enough. Um, <laughs> and uh, they, but, so I think a lot of comedians, like, stand up because they get this, like, very controlled environment that they can, like, really consider and try and, like, work out and it's quite, like, pragmatic sort of logical way like how do I do this and then they get to practice it and like work out how to have like a perfect social interaction <laughs> and then once they have that you can like repeat it on cue which is um that's absolutely why I kind of liked it um like I feel a lot more comfortable on stage than I would um at like a party with like people that I find a bit boring and so that is that. And then I think because, you know, I'm not that good socially. So then because you're not that good socially, you end up, like, observing things more than probably people that are, like, naturally good don't have to, like, try and figure out what, what the fuck happened in that social interaction where everyone got mad or got bored or whatever. Whereas I spend, like, probably more time thinking about it than most people, which I think is, like, a common thing for comedians. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I really answered your question, though. I spoke well, to Jason. <laughs> you know, it was, it was it was a fair response. Uh, it was the way I phrased the question was rather convoluted. So, um, you, I, I presume that you wrote the stand-up for uh, Genevieve in the in the season finale. Yeah, I wrote it, um, and one of our staff writers helped, and she actually may have had like she added some jokes to because she does stand up, so she's like. 16, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she's 16. It keeps changing. The number keeps changing, you know? Like, he's having birthdays. But I think she's 16. And she goes, like, we'll have, like, these press events, and she'll go out afterwards to, like, the comedy club and do her spot. Um, yeah. And she's funny and cool. So, 
I don't know. I, I think maybe I did it because of that. I saw the stand up when I was 17. So it like feels like something that I understand. So she does a, she does stand up and she's really good at it and she's really charming. And I wanted to give her like, um, something magic, you know, she doesn't have that through the season. She's sort of like, right. she underestimates herself and I guess kind of like, um, people around her do as well. So I wanted to give her like a little bit of magic in the end. Okay. In, in real life, have you offered any sort of advice or encouragement for, for her in her teenage stand-up endeavors? No, I try not to give advice to children. Like an old, old man. <laughs> I try not to. I'm going to do her thing. I mean, if she asked me to like look over a set or something, I would look at it. Um, I give her like a little bit of acting advice because that's my job. Right. But she doesn't need it. She's like incredibly good. I think maybe I had like one talk with her once about doing more reactions, mm-hmm. but she's so, um, she's like the most professional actor I've ever, like she knows the words, she knows what they mean. She knows how they should be performed and she does it really reliably over and over and over again in three different shot sizes. She's like the easiest actor I've ever worked with. That probably bodes well for her stand-up career then. Yeah. She's funny. She's like a funny person. And like, uh, you know, we had to try and, like, like uh, auditioning teenage girls, you know, is not an experience I would really, I wouldn't recommend that to people. <laughs> I, I, uh, I didn't date until college. So, yeah, I avoided auditioning teenage girls for anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like um, we bring them in and, like, well, I don't know. I'm just I'm like, nice people, I'm sure. But they're just, like, they really want to be actors. And they've got that, like, way of speaking. Like, I'm an actor. And um, the first, like, the first day I started the casting agent, Deanna, she said to me, do you want girls that have been emancipated from their parents? And I was like, what do you mean? And apparently, sometimes in LA, um, teenage, teenage actors get emancipated from their parents so they can work longer hours. And I was like, oh, no. I, I think they're probably exclusively looking for girls that haven't been emancipated from their parents, you know? We're looking for someone who, like, has a life that isn't just acting and has something going on behind the eyes and has like a point of view. Um, and she's that absolutely like, she's really interesting and like a bit of a weirdo, um, which is like great, which we love, you know? So, yeah. As far as your standup goes, you were just in the process of workshopping and touring a new show. I finished my tour the day before they shut the theaters. <laughs> Yeah. Whoopsie Daisy is right. Yeah. That's yeah. Well, the title, that's the title of the it, show, though. right? Whoopsie Daisy, yeah. Somehow we got away with it though. We got we got we finished it literally the, the next day they closed the theater. <laughs> so that was a weird gig, man. On the eve before they closed the theaters and everyone's like realizing mm-hmm. and like everyone's sitting in the crowd just thinking like just looking at me being like, We might die for this. Where was <laughs> that where was that last that's, show? It was in LA. It's just a high stakes gig when your audience has risked um, did, getting did you, coronavirus. To did come, you, you say know. anything up front or afterward? Or I tried to make some jokes about it up front, but it didn't go that well. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, uh, yeah, it was one of those things. It was like, uh, you know, I've been doing stand up, I guess, for fifteen years. And then, and then, like, just before I walk on stage, I thought, like, no, I, I'm not prepared for this. 
<laughs> the past was so many. I've had so many things happen, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I've, I, I get, I know how to like work it out. But um, doing a stand-up show on the eve of a pandemic when people aren't really sure whether they should be out at all, I don't, I, I don't have the skills to, to pull that off. <laughs> I haven't developed those skills. Now you know, I know we're talking in the like. Well, I can't really say the middle of the pandemic because nobody knows how long this is going to last. But as I talk to you, we've been in quarantine for a little over a month. Mm -hmm. Do you have, do you have any sense of like how much of your whoopsie daisy show might come back as is, or how much of it you might need to completely retool? Yeah. Depending on on what the new world is. Yeah. I, you know, like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. We're hoping to turn next year, but I don't think that'll happen. Um, because I, you know, like everything else has been pushed back. So if we do another season of everything's gonna be okay, that's like gonna take so long just for me to be free. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, maybe that shows them. Also, it's like about me turning thirty, so at some point it expires. Right, I'm thirty-two now. At some point, it loses its. Um, it loses its emotional crux, you know? Ten or, years ago, this thing happened, isn't that, you right. know? Or you have a completely different perspective on it. Yeah, so if I read to it, I'll have to, like, rewrite it, probably. Right. Like, like with uh, Hannah Gadsby, uh, mm-hmm. Tasmanian Australian, who, who's now big in America, you know, her, her, her breakthrough show, Nanette, was all about her reframing her perspective on something that happened, so... Yeah, maybe there you go. I don't know if my show needs that that heavier reframing. <laughs> a show called "Looks like, Easy" is not a. I'm just gonna a, work out how to change last year to two years ago. <laughs> That's what I gotta work out. <laughs> so what you're trying to tell me, Josh Thomas, is that in fact everything is gonna be okay. It's gonna be fine, I think. Yeah, I don't know. How are you going there in isolation? Uh. As long as I don't think about what happens when I step outside or what happens when everybody steps outside, I'm kind of yeah, fine. Yeah, I find I'm great if I just think about the day. If I'm like, oh, I've got the day off. <laughs> I've got the day off again. That's nice. And um, what am I going to do around the house? And then I just keep it small and go like kind of hour by hour. Then I feel like it's pretty good. I've been digging a lot of holes. <laughs> well... Fortunately, you didn't dig any holes in this interview, so... Do you think so? No, you, it was good. I'm not going to get canceled? <laughs> no, Josh Thomas, you're, you're, you're still okay. Thanks. Oh. Okay, that was good. Thank you made you. it through another day. <laughs> Thank you so much, Josh. I really Thank appreciate you. this. Thanks. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening.
things first.